0: To a pastor earlier this week, and he was telling me that um, on vacation he had visited a church and it was a it was a large church I don't remember even where it was, but he said he'd listened through the whole message, and there was a lot of excitement there were a lot of people, there was a lot of passion that Jesus was never mentioned. We can already say that's not going to happen here. <laughs> And honestly, uh, we have no reason to be here without Jesus. I just put it that way. Turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter five. I just want to read three verses aloud if you will stand in our great God's honor this morning. Beginning at verse 15 of Ephesians five. Be very careful then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We always have needed you, Lord. It's very apparent to me. God, just speak to our hearts in this time set aside. Uh, We don't need to hear about what we can do. We need to hear about what you have done and what you want to do through us for your glory. So God, I I just, uh, that's just what I ask for, Lord, speak. In your name we pray, amen. Um, Man, I started working on this message. I started thinking about 2022, started thinking about this year before us as we begin 2023. And I got got mad when I got to thinking about different things that's been in the news over the past year that's frustrated me. I know I'm old and I'm set in my ways, but man, I I think about our Congress are going out for for another year. Here we are at the end of the year. We pass a 4,155-page bill You're telling me that all those people read 4,155 pages before they even voted on this thing? And I'll tell you, I wanted to get on my high horse and I wanted to highlight some of these things that I discovered that were in this bill. But you know what? I'm not here for political reasons because, quite honestly, politics is not what's going to save us as a people. It's not going to save our land, guys. Um. I always grew up with the concept of, in America, this is the land of the free, a beacon to the world, a place of hope and opportunity. And guys, I'm hearing many of our places, our, our young people being taught that that is not true, that we have this history we should be ashamed of as a nation. And it just breaks my heart. That, that, is, that is not the people I know. <laughs> it is, is not this land that I love. There are people that, man, they're just confused about the most basic of things. Am I a boy? Am I a girl? Um, Just identities. And if you're you're getting to be an old dog, and I'm hitting that uh, closer every time now, uh, the stock market's taking a nosedive, and so there's this sense of insecurity. You know, is there going to be any money in retirement? Or is it all going to evaporate? And what came to my mind was 1 Corinthians 14.33. And in the King James, it says, For our God is not the author of confusion. And I see confusion all around me. People are confused. Um, In the NIV, it says, Our God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. In both translations, it points to the fact that our God is a God of peace. Man, we're... He doesn't want us to fight one another. He doesn't want us to beat one another up. He wants to provide to us peace. That is why he came, and that is what he provides for us. And, and our call is to surrender to the Prince of Peace. Matter of fact, you know, I've quoted that verse a lot, 1 Corinthians 14, But to be honest with you, I always quote the first part of it. I don't quote the, the second half of it. You know what the second half says? The second half says that our God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And then it says to all the churches. You see, outside in this world that's around us, it is crazy. And there is confusion and there is disorder because they don't know the Prince of Peace. But it shouldn't be that way here. It shouldn't be that way in the body of Christ. Not just King's way, but any gathering that leans upon the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And we've just worshipped Him in this season because He came out of His great love to us that shared in Christ. So regardless of what goes on on the outside, guys, we're to be different. We're to be set apart. And as we think about 2023 regardless of what kind of chaos uh, happens among us, may that not be so among His people here. May people be able to look at us and say, man, there's something different. There's something different about this people. There's something not like what I see in the world around me. That's God's call to us. And we're in Ephesians this morning. Matter of fact, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians... We are told who we are, and we are told what we have in God. And then we come to chapter 4, and in chapter 4, we are told about what we need to do with who we are and what we have. look how chapter 4 starts out. Paul, he's in this prison, It's it's a difficult time. He's facing tough circumstances. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he goes down to chapter 4 and he talks about this calling. He first starts out and he says, we are to walk humbly in love. So he tells us that we are to live or we are to walk in love. That, that's what sets us apart. That we are a people of love. And we're to do that humbly. To walk humbly in love. Not to toot our own horn. (laughs) But to be servants. And then he tells us that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of peace. That although there may be chaos outside. There is the glue of Jesus Christ that holds us together. And serving him and surrendering him and following him are paramount to us and that there's a uniqueness among the body of Christ. You go down to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 and he says we're to speak the truth in love. We guys, we're not to we're not to beat the people up who disagree with us, but we're also not to be afraid. We're to have courage. We're to have boldness because we don't help people When we don't tell them the truth. We don't help people. When we don't tell them about the Lord God. And about his love for us. And and why he came. And that he calls us to be set apart for him. That we are a unique people. And then he tells us in chapter 5 verse 1. That we are to walk in love. He, He tells us that we are to follow the example to be imitators of God, to live a life of love, just as Christ Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. And then he goes on and he tells us in chapter 5, verse 8, that we're to walk in light. Matter of fact, verse 8 says, Once you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. You see, people can't see without Christ because he's the light. The reason they're stumbling around, the reason they're in trouble is they can't see. They're blind without the light of Christ in their lives. And then we come to our text here, uh, verse 15, where he calls us and he tells us in chapter 5 that we are to walk in wisdom. And so we want to look at three points uh, this morning and outline here. And the first is that we are to live precisely. Guys, we are not to live haphazardly, giving no thought to how we live each day, no thought to the decisions that we make. It's all very important that we walk with precision, that we consider the Lord in what we do, that we believe in Him and that we follow Him, and God simply that we're willing to surrender to Him it's all critical and it's important. And notice how our text reads in verse 15. Very careful then how you live or how you walk. Man, when I was a kid, I was all over the place, uh, running around. I thought I was Tarzan half the time, no shirts, shorts, no shoes, running, uh, not watching where I was going. And my parents used to always say, Todd, be aware, man, there's cars out in the road. Don't run out in the road. Be careful. You might step on something. Watch what you're doing. Well, so I remember one day I was playing. Uh, Man, next thing I know, I stepped where I shouldn't have stepped, and there was a broken Coke bottle, and there was the bottom of the Coke bottle, and it went in my heel. And I was about a half mile from home, and I hopped all the way home, screaming, screaming. Got home, yeah, I thought, man, I'm not jerking that thing out. My foot might come off with it, you know. <laughs> but it was very critical. I stepped where I shouldn't have stepped. And the truth of the matter is, it's easy to step somewhere you don't want to step. You might step in it, or you might step on it. <laughs> but you don't want to step there. In 2012, Nick Walinda did something no one had ever done. He walked 1,800 yards. Well, big deal. Everybody could walk 1,800 yards, but this was on a tightrope across Niagara Falls, from the United States side to the Canada side of the Niagara Falls. You better believe he took each step very carefully. ABC televised the event, and they had a uh, a cable attached to him as a safety cable, which he did not want to use, but. They made him do that in case case he fell in the turbulent winds. And he made it across. And Nick came from a famous family known as the Flying Wallendus. And his uh, father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather had been tightrope walkers and took these incredible risks. matter of fact, his great-grandfather fell off of a Highway Act in Puerto Rico in 1978 and fell to his death. He was in a family that knew you better be careful about the next step because it could be your last. And though it is, so it is with us in Christ, we need to be careful about where we walk and how we live. The the scripture tells us to not do that unwisely. But guys, we are called to be wise. In 2 Timothy 3.7, Paul talks about this group of people who were always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So they were, they were able to learn different facts, but they were never able to get to the truth. There are a lot of people who know a lot of things, but what we know what we need more than anything is to know Him, to know Christ. In Psalm 14 verse one it tells us this, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. What he's saying here is, is not the fool believes that God doesn't exist at all. Nah, there's no God. There's no evidence of God. That's not what he's talking about. Rather, what he's talking about is there is no God that I have to submit to, that I have to listen to, that I have to obey. In other words, I don't want God controlling my life. He has no claim over me. It's like going to the restaurant, and uh, I like that first cup of coffee, but some waitresses, I guess they're looking for a good tip, and they'll just keep filling that cup up. You know, and after four or five cups, I'm in trouble, you know. So anyway, so after I've had a couple of cups of coffee, come by and say, no thank you. Put my hand over the cup to make sure, you know, no more coffee. Well, I'm not saying there is no coffee in that pot. Coffee doesn't exist. What I'm saying is, I don't need any more of that coffee in my life. I have enough. And so the point is, of people who say, I do not want God telling me what to do. I do not want to surrender to God. And see, here's here's the problem. There are some of us who are theologically correct. I mean, we walk so straight, we've got perfect Christian posture. But we live as practical atheists. We don't really surrender to God each day. We don't really cry out to God for help. We don't really seek the direction and the guidance of God's Spirit in our lives. In Ephesians 4, 17, he tells them, he says, So I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. In other words, it is futile to live without God in your life. It is futile to leave God out of each step that you take, each decision that you make. It is futile. We need Him. That's wisdom. Wisdom is taking what you learn and living it. Walking it, step by step, in obedience. Secondly, we're to live not only with preciseness, we're to live with awareness. Look at verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You know, here we've gotten to a new year, the January 1st, and you know, each day we've got the rotations of the earth approximately 24 hours, and I read some article, and really it was I'm not smart enough to understand all of it. It was like a, I don't know, each year we gain eight-tenths of a millisecond because of the tides. Hey, man, that's above my pay grade. But anyway, the point is approximately 24 hours with the rotation of the earth, we have what we call a day. And then revolving around the sun, one time we call that a year. (laughs) So we've accomplished 365 and a quarter days. You know, somewhat, that's kind of like, Every family has two and a half children. I'm not even sure, you know. Uh, But anyway, the point is, here we are. We've marked it on our calendars. We are beginning a new year. Psalm 39.4 tells us, Lord, remind me how brief my time is on earth. Remind me my days are numbered and that my life is fleeting away. They asked Dr. Billy Graham one time, what is uh, the most amazing thing that you've discovered in this life? And he said, the brevity of it. Boy, it passes so quickly. The Bible describes this life as a mist or a vapor, a fleeting shadow. The days just go by and the years move and... Man, and they say it gets faster the older you get, and I already feel like I'm going breakneck speed, that I'm going to fall off uh, with how fast it's going. I read about, which I don't know who would buy one of these, but it was a clock It's based on how long you will live, your lifespan. It, uh, it, it said that uh, they base it on a 75-year lifespan. You have to plug some stuff into this clock. <laughs> a woman gets a few more years. It's about 80. It <laughs> says so you plug in your current age, your your gender. That might be hard for something. Okay. Stop, Todd. <laughs> A few things about you, and from then on, it'll tell you how much time you have left to live. Man, I'd hate that clock. I don't want to no. know. I, I want to follow that kind of stuff. Paul, as he, he talks about um, to make use of every opportunity, The word time, there are two words for time. One is chronos and one is kairos. And chronos is the biological clock. I like to think of it as how many candles go on your cake. And for some of us, uh, it's definitely a a problem with a potential large fire to occur at our birthdays. Uh, But that's the chronological age. How many birthdays you've had and beyond And then kairos is more of making the best use of those precious moments that we can't retrieve. Once they're gone, they're gone. Health-wise, they base your age uh, in the medical field uh, twofold. One is the chronological age, how many candles on that cake, but the other is the physiological age. And often, that is dependent on how you use those moments for example when you've got that fork or that spoon how do you use those moments when you eat when I was younger especially and oh man old habits are hard to break but I would eat way too much and I would eat way too fast and by the time my stomach realized what my mouth had done it was too late it was just the simple truth of the matter uh, we had Christmas we had one of uh, my son's friends came and ate Christmas we hadn't seen in a while Scotty we all love Scotty but Scotty came by and he said Todd he said man I've gotten now where I can eat more I want to challenge you at the meal see if I can eat more than you I said Scotty I'm trying to rehabilitate <laughs> you know I'm trying to get away from that man I'm not doing that anymore My daughter loves to run. She doesn't run as much as she used to. But, um, I don't know, she's run at least a half a dozen marathons. And she ran one in Montana, and she told us how difficult it was. You had some mountains you had to go up and down, all this stuff. And she said it ended on a mountain. She said, Dad, I'll just be honest with you, there were a couple of those places. I just had to walk. It was just too much. But she said, "I, I got to the end, and this guy comes running beside me. And we crossed the finish line at the same time. And he was a really nice guy. And I got to talking to him, and I found out he was 77 years old. (gasps) Man, his chronological clock might have said 77, but I doubt his physiological clock said that, you know. But the moments that we squander or the moments, the choices that we misuse, they do have an impact on our lives. And so the point of this message, it isn't counting time. The point is to make your time count. Um, you know, it's it's critical stuff. Choices matter. And we will step into eternity. And there'll come a time where opportunities for the kingdom of God will cease. When you get to heaven, everybody wants to be there. And everybody's there because of the work of Christ. Those opportunities will be no more. And we, we all know some of those opportunities. And I guess the question is, this year in 2023, will we miss those opportunities? Will we make use of those opportunities? Because, guys, they may not come again. We may not have those opportunities. There may not be another chance to share the gospel or to pass out a track or or to boldly and lovingly say something that should be said because you care about the people. You may not have that chance again. And so we need to be aware of that. Jesus put it this way. Um, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. I read about a statue <laughs> uh, by a Greek sculptor, and he entitled um, this Statue Kairos, after this idea of time that we're talking about, opportunities. has a series of, qu- series of questions that are etched in underneath the statue. And here's what they says. Um, who are you, Kairos, who subdues all things? Why do you stand on tiptoe? I am running. Why, why do you have a pair of wings on your feet? I fly with the wind. Why do you hold a razor in your right hand as a sign to men that I am sharper than any sharp edge? Why does your hair hang over your face for him who meets me to take me by the forelock? And why in heaven's name is the back of your head bald? Because none whom I have once raced by on my winged feet will now, though he wishes it sore, take hold of me from behind. And so thus the expression comes opportunity is bald from behind because there's no way to catch those missed opportunities. They're gone. They can't come back. And so life is like a vapor. It, it vanishes as a mist. So we're to make the most of every opportunity. And you know what? Time, it leaves its marks, right? Uh, for most of us, you just look in a mirror. You know, I say this all the time. It's like, who is that guy? It, you know, that's not who I remember. Kairos. Opportunities. They they pass us by. Uh, some things that are wasted opportunities. A big one is just a life of sin. I, I don't remember who said it, but some preacher said, you could have a. A saved soul and a wasted life. That is so tragic. That is so sad. To miss the blessings of God in this life. To miss the power of God in your life. To miss the blessings that he supplies, that he provides. But it happens. There are people that live for this world, hang out the bars, go from one romantic relationship to the next, and it's just Empty adventures. Just wasted times that happened. Think of Noah. You know, he, he preached all those years, year after year after year, to turn to God to follow him. And in the end, they, you know, locked up the ark and only eight people, only eight people survived. Missed opportunities. And people would find out Oh, the jokes are over now. The water's really rising. Judgment's really here. Or there were the five wise virgins who were prepared and the five foolish virgins who weren't. And then the opportunity was gone. And then there was the city of Jerusalem. Jesus looked over the city. Remember this? He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How... Often I have wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing. The opportunity passed many of them. They just missed the opportunity. And then of course Judas Iscariot. One of the guys with him day after day for that three year ministry. And he missed Christ. He was there and he missed him. Wasted. 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 Not only that, but, you know, good things can rob us of the best things, the best blessings of God. And, of course, I, it can't, you know, I think of Mary and Martha, right? You know, Martha's getting mad because Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, enjoying the blessing of being with Jesus. Martha's working herself to death in the kitchen, and she's thinking, that stupid sister of mine, she's so unthoughtful. Here I am working my fingers to the bone. There's so much work to do, and she's not helping me. She makes me so mad. I'd go slap her, but Jesus rebuked me, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, uh, man, all, the, all this going on. But what happened? She, she went to Jesus, and, and she said, my sister, she's not helping me, Lord. You know, let her have it, Lord. You know, just tell her. And and you remember what Jesus (laughs) said to her, Martha, you're distracted and worried about so many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen the better part, which I will not take away from her. (laughs) Sometimes it can be something that's even good that we're doing. It's useful, but is it what he wants? Because that's what matters above all. And I got one more, one more of these. We're to live with thoughtfulness. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Uh, we're to live by faith, not by sight. Uh, and, and I know we get hung up sometimes. And you know, I've, I've often said, I'll never forget Chuck Swindoll's words. I asked him, someone said, can you know the will of God? And he said, yeah, sure, after the fact. Man, I think of that, you know, yeah, that was God's will. Whether I got it right or wrong, I can see it's God's will now, you know. And the fact of the matter is, you know, there's some general things. Should I buy the blue car, the black car, the red car? Um, You know, should I get this magazine or that one or should I work out at this gym? You know, those kind of details. God, show me. But there are some things that are clear in the scripture, some principles, and I just want to close by. Looking briefly at five of these that are clearly spelled out in the Scripture, Uh, the first one. We'll just kind of fly through these. Over my time, God wants unsaved people to be saved. Second Peter chapter three verse nine tells us that our God is patient; He does not want anybody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's our God. We know, no matter how much of a rascal you think that person is, God loves them. And He wants them to know the forgiveness in Jesus. He wants that. That's His will. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that He desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So that's His will. Secondly, God wants saved people... To become holy people, First Thessalonians chapter four verse three it says, "It is God's will that you should be sanctified or holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable." Guys, we are to be set apart for God. We are His. We are to be extensions of His will and His word and His way. We're not to live like everybody else. We're to live clearly as the one who bought us back through His own blood at the cross. I think of uh, Moses. This is from Hebrews 11, 24, and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God Rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he said, "Man, this is really good, you know, to be a prince. But what's better is to be His." That 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 was that was the call. Third, I know I got to move through these a little quicker. Um, God wants holy people to become humble people, responsive to authority, and. Really submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, as it says in um, Ephesians 5.21. Uh, anyway, this is from 1 Peter chapter 2. You'll read a couple of verses, 12 through 15. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Man, we need to live in such a way where there's no doubt who we follow, who we love. Fourth, I'm getting there, hang on. Sometimes God wants saved, holy, humble people to suffer. Oh, man, we don't like that. Nobody here is volunteers for suffering. Lord, Lord, me please, me please. No way. That's just not how it works. Lord, I want an excuse. Can I please miss this uh, lesson today? It's not the way it works, guys. James tells us uh, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, I don't know every reason to the suffering that you are facing. Or suffering that I may be facing. It's complicated. We we do know God gets the glory. But what he tells us there in James. Is one major component of the suffering we experience. Is he just wants us to grow up. To grow up. We're not to be infants that are tossed about by every little. I got a pastor friend of mine. Well I haven't seen him in years now. But he used to tell me he'd get frustrated. And he'd talk about this crazy thing or that crazy thing that happened in the church, and he called it changing diapers. He'd say, Had to change another diaper today. You know? There they go again. (laughs) God wants to grow us up. He wants to mature us. He doesn't want us to stay immature. All right. Number five. I'm at the last one. You say, Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. God wants all people to be thankful. Thankful. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's a number of commands in that passage from 5:16 uh, through 21. This is pretty amazing stuff. Thanks. And there's one little word in there I have always been so grateful for, church. Let me tell you what the word is. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The word is in instead of for. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances because there's some circumstances I just don't like. Okay, And I think sometimes God's okay with that. But why does he say give thanks in all circumstances? Because God is in it in some fashion. He is up to something and he doesn't want us to miss what he's up to. He is using it to make us more like Jesus. He doesn't want us to miss that. George Mueller, who founded that orphanage in Bristol, England uh, years ago, Man, God used him. He never asked for any money. He just prayed and (laughs) took care of 10,000 orphans. God just, God stuff, okay? (laughs) Uh, But this is a quote from Mueller. He said, 90% of our problems are solved when we're ready to do the will of God, whatever it might be. Wow, good stuff. 90% of our problems are solved when we're willing and able to do All right, look, this is not an exhaustive, complete list of the will of God by any means, but let me tell you this. If we as a church were to do this in 2023, Bristol would never be the same. Or Kingsport, or Johnson City, or even some of the suburbs. (laughs) In our little neck of the woods, right? Man, to seek the will of God, to live the will of God, to walk the will of God, and let God work powerful stuff. Okay, I want to close with a prayer, an Irish prayer. <clears throat> Forgive my attempt at Irish brogue, but uh, I, can't, I can't help myself with Irish prayer. Right? Uh, this is for the prayer. Maybe you've heard this before. May you make it to heaven a half hour before the devil knows you're dead. <laughs> okay, here's the prayer. This is good prayer. During the new year, may you have enough happiness to keep you sweet, enough trials to keep you strong, enough sorrow to keep you human, enough hope to keep you happy, enough failure to keep you humble, enough success to keep you eager, enough friends to give you comfort, enough wealth to meet your needs, enough enthusiasm to make you look forward to tomorrow, and enough determination to make each day better than the day before. Church, may we walk in wisdom. And uh, before we have our time of response, I guess really this probably be better as a uh, benediction. Say goodbye, but Greg Kokel who uh, is an apologist. I, I've loved to hear. Uh, I know Thomas and several others enjoy Cokel too. But he's got this little saying and I love it. You'll, you'll, when, I, when I say it, you'll catch it. Greg likes to close his talks by saying, give them heaven. We know what comes to our mind when we first hear that phrase. But Greg turns it around because that's what 2023 what better thing for us to do than give them heaven? (laughs) Tell them about Jesus. Let's pray. God, uh, we love you. We confess you. How we need you, Lord Jesus. I I pray in this time that we would simply surrender to you. uh, As the new year is before us, may we walk in wisdom. May we not miss the opportunities that you provide God just keep us Lord, uh, where we'll be precise where there will be a thoughtfulness in, in what we do Lord uh, that we'll be aware God just just do it in us Lord and and as we seek to surrender to you this morning with an altar that's open and uh, father my prayer that your spirit is spoken, that we would just simply say yes to your call, whatever that may be, as as you speak, way beyond what I say, Spirit of God, speak to us, we need it, Lord. (laughs) And, And so, Father, in this time of response, we just simply say, lead in Christ's name.